We're so glad that you're joining us for this uh, Good Friday moment. This day, billions of us are gathering to mourn, to grieve, and to look at the horror, which of course leads to wonder. Today, we celebrate Good Friday. Now, many Christians in other nations and in other centuries have probably dealt with this day better than us. We, at least in the West, are an instant fix-it culture. We spend billions on staying young, avoiding death. We live with accessible funds and resources to deal with sickness like in no other time in history. But six weeks ago, much of that changed for all of us. Like most of the world, we're starting to see our frailty, realizing our mortality during this global medical moment. Though most of us living in the West have not experienced death on a mass scale, we are at least a little now trying and starting to understand. Like I said a few weeks ago, we're living in this global pandemic now. We're living through this global crisis now. We're all either in isolation or quarantine or practicing social distancing. More and more of us are starting to know people directly affected by the virus. We're all feeling lost and much of what we relied upon or or hoped in has changed or it's gone Hospitals are filling up, the death toll globally is rising, and we're all taking longer pauses. Never did I think in my lifetime I would be uh, texting with friends in New York, pastors whose congregants are setting up field hospitals in Central Park, but here we are. And yet, in this real difficult moment, there is lots to be rediscovered. You might say, well, what is that? Well, our most holy faith is grounded in all of this. The one that we love, the God we worship, stops and makes us face reality and calls us beyond the insulation and security of our over-controlling or our planning, our belief that we'll all live forever. Even though we know we won't, we pretend we will. And as the Psalms say, we're like a flower that's here today and gone tomorrow. I mean, honestly, death is what we're all struggling with at this moment. Death of our plans, death of our jobs, death of normalcy as we knew it, and actually when we're up at 3 a.m., it's really struggling with real death. And Good Friday, by the way, is all about death. It's an intentional glimpse at the horror, which of course in the end does bring salvation and hope and forgiveness and the power to overcome all the ills of the world. But unlike what so many people probably think today, Jesus' death was not a mistake. It wasn't random. It wasn't a political act. It wasn't just the religious leaders of their day getting their way. It wasn't even the kingdom of darkness supposedly overcoming the one that had created them. No, these factors are real, but it's heaven's view, which is most significant to understand Good Friday and even where we're at today. All the chaos back then was being used to accomplish the sovereign will of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And because he loved us, he decided to provide a way back to himself. Long, long before Jesus' execution and murder, Jesus said these words in, in John ten seventeen. The reason why my father loves me is that I lay down my life, and only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Well, the day came where words turned to actions, and I don't know you, if you know this, but the chronology of Good Friday is nothing more than the process of loss, grief, and abandonment. From friends, to leaders that supposedly knew God, to the whole Jewish nation, to the whole Roman world, to the whole human race, we've all heard the phrase, behold the man, and all said, crucify him. This so-called Good Friday started just after midnight. Let me give you the chronology. 
1 a.m., Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. 1.30, Judas shows up and betrays him, and all of Jesus' friends that are left, they run away. 2 a.m., Jesus is questioned at Annas, and Peter denies him not once, not twice, but three times, and even cusses and curses Jesus out. At 3 a.m., there's an unofficial trial by the high priest Caiaphas at his house. At 6 a.m., there's a formal trial at the Jewish Supreme Court of the day, the Sanhedrin, and they give the death sentence. And at 6.30, Pilate, the Roman governor, interrogates Jesus. At 7, he's before Herod, the supposed king of the Jews, and he's mocked. By 7.30, he's back to Pilate. And Pilate gives in and consents to execute him. At eight, Jesus is tortured, spit upon, hit, the crown of thorns placed on his head. He's draped in purple to mock his claim that he's the king of the Jews. And at nine, what the Bible calls the third hour, Jesus is nailed to the cross. It was during this terrible moment of pain that Jesus also was having all the sin of the world placed on him. Every act ever committed against God, against his heart, against his law, all of it placed on Jesus in that moment, the one who'd never sinned. Inferred also in the Gospels, by the way, is that Satan and all his millions or billions of fallen angels gathered to watch this too in glee. Between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., Jesus utters seven statements from the cross that reveal he's truly God, truly human, and he's assured of what is to come. These seven statements that he cried out are still some of the most powerful words ever uttered in human history. The first one you can find in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Now, Jesus shows us that he can and will forgive anyone of anything to bring them home. He's the only one who has the power to do this. The next one's found in John 19, 43. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus forgives a repentant criminal dying beside him. It's never too late to humble yourself before Jesus and be saved, even on your deathbed. The next one is very personal for Jesus. John 19, 26, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his house. As Jesus is literally dying and bleeding out, he cares for his mom's future and asks John to take care of her. Mary truly is a symbol for the whole church. Jesus is caring for us, tenderly overseeing and helping us so we're never alone. The next one comes from Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, Jesus shows us we don't have to have a fake, shallow, uh, artificial faith. We're allowed to wrestle with doubt, with question. We can cry it and scream at God. Real faith doesn't avoid darkness. Real faith walks in it and grows in it. The next one is from John 19, 28. Jesus just says, I'm thirsty. Yeah, Jesus is fully God. Yeah, but he's also fully human. Good Friday reminds us that he's our brother, that he did suffer, and he's with us in our sickness, in our isolation, even at our death. The second last statement is so important. It's from John 19.30. It is finished. This was not some statement of defeat. This was a, a declaration of victory. As one wrote, this is finished. Uh, it is finished, but it's not over. Jesus' work settles it, decides it, completes it. It cannot be contested. There is nothing now fully to fear. The worst has happened. The pitch black night has not swallowed up the glory of God. The light of the world has broken the darkness. It's his last statement that shows us actually hope in, in suffering, in sickness, in fear, in abandonment, in death. It's found in Luke 23, 44. It was the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land till the ninth hour. The sun had stopped shining. 
the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Darkness covered the whole land. The physical realm actually is displaying what's happening everywhere. The light of the world has been snuffed out. The kingdom of darkness seems to be sovereign, all-powerful. There seems to be no hope, no ray of sunshine. There will be no undoing of sin, darkness, and death. And yet at that darkest of moments on Good Friday, that's when the temple curtain is torn in two. The veil that separates all human beings from the literal presence of God, only accessible once a year by a Jewish high priest, is torn from top to bottom. In other words, Jesus' work has torn open a new way for anyone who wants to rediscover God through Jesus, the one door, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the only way, the only truth, the only life, Jesus the Christ. That's why the author of Hebrews would write years later in Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to be cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In that last moment, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's a profound statement of faith. Father, is an intimate name in the Jewish language. It means Abba, Dad or Daddy. One wrote, you know, Jesus shocked many of his contemporaries by referring to God as Father and by inviting his followers to do the same. Uh, Rather than depicting God as some Middle Eastern patriarch wielding considerable power in the family, he actually depicts God as a tender, compassionate dad who extends grace both to sinner and self-righteous. So at the moment when he literally breathes his last, he reminds the world that the Father is still there. And then, like everyone, he dies, he dies. In less than 24 hours, Jesus had gone from accusation to multiple trials to torture to execution, and he dies. Now, of course, we know that's not the end of the story. Jesus will win. Jesus physically rises from the dead. Everything changes, and yet, let's not rush to Easter. Let's just sit here on this Good Friday. Like most of us who are forced to stay at home and we're all desperate to go to a restaurant again or hang out with friends or be with family and celebrate. I mean, this is Easter weekend. We're supposed to have a huge party and we're not allowed. Good Friday forces us to spiritually stay home and face some things. What does Good Friday teach us? One, Our Christian faith and our hope is grounded not just in the best moments, but actually in the worst moments. Second, God is really with us in our suffering. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not just something you put on Instagram and lots of people like. It's true. And here's the last thing. Death doesn't have the final say. So I know that you're at home in bedrooms or at kitchen tables or in living rooms or in TV rooms. And so what I want to invite you to do is let's participate in communion today, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Let's today, virtually across all of our homes, still celebrate the death of Jesus. Jesus, just before he died, of course, talked about this. And and by the way, because we've never done this before, you can grab some wine or some juice You can grab any form of bread you want, and I'm going to lead us through this. 
We teach this all the time here at Sanctus Church. Communion is a guaranteed place of encounter. He's not in the elements, but he's sure with us. Uh, This is a symbol where God reminds us that he never leaves us or forsakes us. He communes with us. It's the good news in picture form because he dies for us. It's the symbol of mercy. It's actually where we who are Christians renew our wedding vows to him. When we, when we said yes to Jesus and we were baptized, we claimed him as Savior and Lord. And in this place, we say, yes, you still are my Savior. You're still my Lord. I'm not available to anyone else, just you. It's anticipation. We are reminded that Jesus is going to return one day again. And like we found out in our last major series, in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to actually see him, be with him, touch him, and eat with him. But also it's memorial where we remember Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. As you're just going to get some elements in your house, let me just read what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For what I received from the Lord, I also now pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to take this together. But again, let me just outline this. If you are a Christian, that means you really are a follower of Jesus. Not just ethnically, you come from a group that says they're Christian or your family's Christian. No, no. You genuinely have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. You can take this. Uh, If you're a Christian and you are struggling, you're welcome. If you're doing really well, you're welcome. If you're bored, you're welcome. If you're a Christian who's refusing to submit and refusing to repent on an issue, the Bible says wait until you're ready to deal with that or try to reconcile with another. If you're not a Christian and you're watching this, please don't take elements because you've not received the one into your life that this represents. This This is a great time to meet him though. And so all across Sanctus Church and beyond, because I know there are many other Christians from other churches joining us, would you just take a piece of bread? And I'm going to pray and then I'm going to lead us. So thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you that your Holy Spirit interconnects us all right now. Thank you for the death of Jesus. Thank you for his blood spilled and his body broken. And would you just bless these elements in all of our different homes, we pray in Jesus' name. And you all said, amen. So take a piece of bread. And I just want to say to you on this Good Friday, this is the body of Christ. It's broken for you. Take this and remember Jesus' suffering that gives you hope. Take the juice you've got or the wine you've got. This is the blood of Jesus Christ spilled for you. This makes the eternal difference for you. Now just take this and remember Jesus' blood that makes you clean. We just end this Good Friday moment by saying, thanks, Jesus, for your death. Thank you that you willingly did this. Thank you that your body was broken, your blood is shed. Thank you that we were able virtually together across our church and around the world to still remember you through the act of communion. Prepare us. Now we pray for Easter. Prepare our friends and family and neighbors and strangers also to join us virtually to hear the good news of Jesus. And may the reality of not just knowing about Jesus, but meeting him personally take place not only today, not only on Holy Saturday, but on Easter Sunday as hundreds of millions of us gather virtually to declare that Jesus is risen from the dead. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us for this good Easter, this good Friday moment, and we look forward to seeing you on Easter Sunday.